Right, one, two. All right, um, hello. Hello. Good morning. Hello. Thank you. All right, um, make your way back to your seats. If you're in your seats, grab your Bibles. Um, whether it's your own physical copy of a Bible or you have it on your phone, just grab your Bible and turn to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews this week, we're going to be covering two verses. I know. <laughs> Last week, we did a whole chapter, um, lots of verses there, but this week, we're going to be doing, and Dan, exactly, Dan, like, yeah, he's happy he was able to get through that. Good job. But this week, we're going to be doing just two verses of Hebrews chapter 12. If you are new and you're like, who is this? Um, my name is Obed, and I'm one of the leaders here. Um, along with Dan and Jeremy, we are leaders, pastors, elders of this church, and it's always a joy to have you join us. If you have any more questions, any questions, don't be shy. Ask us any questions you want, not while I'm up here preaching, but when I'm done, uh, you can ask me any questions you want, and we'll be happy to um, answer um, those questions as best as we can. Um, all right, you've got your Bibles. You're at Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to ring. I'm going to ring. I'm going to read two verses, verses one and two, and then we're going to get stuck into our study, yeah? All right, let's read. And as always, may you please stand for the reading of God's Word. Thank you. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 reads, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray, God. May you bring your word to life in all of our lives. May you Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. All right. Um, when I was growing up in London, um, I was a kid with an identity crisis. Um, and I say that because I was involved in so many different things, okay? I was involved in um, the hip-hop world. I was a rapper, everyone. I was a rapper, yes. I was involved, exactly. So <laughs> my mom's there, she knows. Uh, I was involved in the hip-hop world. Even though I was from London, I would wear um, um, baseball hats of Cleveland. Um, I would wear, you know, Detroit outfits, um, and I would go around thinking I was P. Diddy or something like that. I, I, I wanted to be like P. Diddy. And then I grew out of that and got involved in the um, DJing world, in the kind of dance music world. I was a DJ and made some music, and um, I just thought I wanted to be a DJ. And so within the world of DJing, obviously, there were individuals that I really looked up to that were legends. Um, DJs like Goldie or Wookie. Some of you guys are like, who is that? Just 
whatever, let's move on. Uh, and so I did that, I was in the DJ world, and then um, I was consistently into playing football, soccer, as you guys know it. By the way, Kansas City, everybody. Some people, oh gosh, am I outnumbered here? I didn't support anyone, I'm just congratulating who won the Super Bowl. Anyway, moving on, I was into soccer, <laughs> and I loved soccer, obviously, and again, within the world of soccer, there were players, there were legends um, that I looked up to. I really liked Ronaldo, and Ronaldinho, I loved Thierry Henry, I loved David Beckham, all of those players. I looked up to them, and I wanted to be just like them, and they were an inspiration for me. I also um, got involved in the fashion world. I always say that London is a city where we love fashion. We absolutely love it. And so I got involved in the fashion world. I loved Versace, Moschino, um, all of those guys, um, I really loved and appreciated, and I really wanted to be like them. I tell you that to say that in every industry and in every organization, there are legends. Um, there are people that have been incredibly successful that are an inspiration for many up-and-coming individuals in that particular world. And so last week, we looked at um, um, Hebrews chapter 11, which is is known as, referred to as the Hall of Faith. And it's basically a list of um, biblical figures, historical figures um, that are viewed as uh, individuals who lived by faith, who God used powerfully. Um, we looked at Abraham and Jacob and all of those personalities. And that chapter, chapter 11, um, begins with a definition of faith. If you go to chapter 11, verse 1 and 2, um, I want us to read that definition of faith. It reads, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And so that, if you're looking for a really good definition of what faith is, that one is it. Okay. And after this definition of faith in chapter 11, um, the author of Hebrews goes on to show us what faith actually looks like through the lives of men and women in the Bible, the hall of faith, the legends of Christianity, if we can say it that way. And then let's look at verse 1 of chapter 12. It reads, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Stop right there. What's the first thing we're told in this verse? That we as Christians who are doing our best, okay, to love and live for Jesus here in this city, we are surrounded by what the author describes as um, a, a great cloud of witnesses. The Greeks and Latins frequently used the word cloud to express a great number of people or things. And so, in this context, the term, the term cloud of witnesses describes a great number of people. And the question is, who are these people? Who are these cloud of witnesses? They are, of course, the countless heroes of faith whose lives have been summarized in Hebrews chapter 11. And their witnesses 
not because they're like ghosts or angels floating on heavenly clouds watching over us. No, they are witnesses because their lives of faith in the past is an inspiration for us today as Christians. They are saints. They are men and women just like us, okay, who have run the race before us, the race of Christianity, and like spectators in a stadium, their lives cheer us on to live as they did. R. Kent Hughes, who's a pastor and author, says this. He says, The scene is a great coliseum. The cloud of witnesses that fills the stadium are the great spiritual athletes of the past, Hall of Faith members, everyone a gold medal winner. They are, not li- they are not live witnesses of the event, but witnesses by the fact that their past lives bear witness to monumental, persevering faith. If you're like me, Okay, whenever you explore and you read about these incredible men and women who lived by faith, if you're like me, sometimes you're discouraged, okay? You look at their lives and you compare it with yours and you say to yourself, I'm not as bold as Abraham. I'm not as obedient as Abraham. Or I'm not as willing to let go of everything I own in order to follow Jesus like his disciples. And so, in a way, sometimes when I read about these individuals um, who are in the hall of faith, I'm discouraged (laughs) because I compare my life with theirs. And I'm like, I'm not like them. Um, But the interesting thing about this is we have to view the existence of chapter 11 and the Hall of Faith as individuals who should inspire us, Um, similar to how Michael Jordan inspires so many young kids, okay, to really, really play well in basketball. And so in the same way, these individuals exist to be an inspiration for us as believers. After operations on both of his Achilles tendons, Olympic athlete Derek Redmond, Derek Redmond, he was a British um, 400-meter runner. He was running well in the preliminary heats for the 400 meters race, but in the finals, what happened was Derek turned and fell to the track as a sharp pain stabbed his right leg Um, Instead of um, remaining on the floor and getting help, he decided to stand up um, and make his way to the finish line. Um, All of the other runners had made it. Um, There was a winner, but he decided to get up and limp to the finish line. As he was going, he was struggling. And what happened was his dad comes out of the stands and holds him and helps him to the finish line. When they got there, they got a standing ovation, and I was doing some research on Derek um, Redmond, and um, he said, look, I may not have finished first, but I actually finished the race. 
with the help of his dad. And so in the same way, these witnesses, right, these legends or um, um, the, the people in the hall of faith of Christianity come alongside us in order to help us persevere. We can draw strength from their godly lives as we read of their faith and perseverance and commit ourselves to the same high standard. And so throughout Christianity, there have been many individuals who should be an inspiration for us. And so the question we want to ask and explore this morning is, how can we live as they did? How can we finish well? How can we, when we're dead and gone, okay, be celebrated as a Christian who run a strong race and finished well? Um, if you've noticed in the Bible, especially in the writings of the Apostle Paul, he uses a lot of athletic running imagery. Um, and he uses it because um, uh, we can learn a lot about the Christian life by looking at running. Okay, And so in this section, what the author of Hebrews does, these two verses, is that he uses the metaphor of a runner to help us know how we can live a faithful spiritual life and finish well. And so the question we're going to explore is how can we, how can you finish well as a Christian? To finish well, number one, we must first of all, it tells us here in verse 1, remove every hindrance. If you're making notes, remove every hindrance. Okay, look at verse 1 again. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us what? Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Stop right there. And so the Greek verb here, for lay aside means to put or take something away. It means to stop doing what you're doing. It means to throw it off, be done with it, and put it away. This word was often used to describe the laying aside of clothes or taking off, taking off of clothes like runners who participated in the Olympics. And this makes a lot of sense because if you read history, the history of um, sport and Olympics, what you would notice is that a lot of the athletes um, ran with as least amount of clothes as possible. Some of them even ran naked, right? They competed naked because they didn't want anything to hinder their progress. And so, like an athlete who competes with the least amount of weight in order to run faster, Christians, what are we being exhorted to do? It's to do something similar. As we do our best to live for Christ, we are also called to lay aside anything and everything that will slow us down or hinder us from finishing well. And the first hindrance where to get rid of and lay aside in order to finish well is in the verse, is every what? Thank you, every weight. You guys can talk to me this morning, all right? You're allowed, it's fine, okay? Every weight. The Greek word for weight in verse 1 here is okos. It literally refers to a bulk 
or a mass. And in the world of sports, it referred to the excess bodily weight athletes aimed to shed during training and the clothes they removed just before a race. And so weight here is used as a metaphor in this verse to refer to anything that hinders or prevents a Christian from doing something. And what's interesting is that this word weight here isn't talking about something sinful. It isn't talking about um, something that, you know, is obviously literal sin, okay? It's talking about something good, something proper, something legitimate, something that is non-sinful and allowable, okay? David Guzik, who's a pastor in Santa Barbara, says this, sin can hold us back, but there are also things that may not be sin, every weight, but are merely hindrances that can keep us from running effectively the race God has for us. And so, Christian, the author of Hebrews is doing this. He's pleading with you to lay aside every weight, to get rid of anything in your life that has the potential to hinder your spiritual life. And so, uh, the question I want to ask you is, what is something good and proper and fine that has become a hindrance or has the potential to be a hindrance in your life? What good thing has become a hindrance and an obstacle to your Christian life? Maybe it's your workout routine. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's even serving in the local church. Maybe it's a TV show or a career path. Um, is your social life negatively impacting and affecting your involvement in the local church? Is that relationship that you're in weakening your affections for Jesus? Is that new job or promotion keeping you from um, um, giving your best to your spouse or your kids? Is social media your weight that's negatively affecting your relationship with Jesus? And this one's close to home for me. Like, I stopped going on Instagram. I stopped going on Facebook because I realized, and it was hard, okay, because I'm such a social person. And so to take social media away from me, it's like horrific. But I mustered up the courage and I said, I'm not going to be on social media. And the reason why was I found that every time I went on social media, I became more and more dissatisfied with my life. I looked at what other people were doing, all the, the, you know, all, all the amazing things they were doing. As a pastor, I was looking at, I have pastor friends that are on there, and they have all these brilliant quotes, and they have pictures of their church, and those things are fine. But for me, um, they made me more and more discontent with what I had. And so I had to make the hard decision of removing that particular hindrance for my life personally. I may not have put my finger on your particular weight 
but you know what it is. And so you need to ask yourself, um, in everything you do, does this help or hinder my spiritual life? Lay aside every weight is a command to look at your life, think hard about what you're doing, and ruthlessly eliminate anything and everything that is a hindrance to your spiritual life. John Piper says this, The race of the Christian life is not fought well or run well by asking. What's wrong with this or that? But by asking, is it in the way of greater faith, greater love, and greater purity, and greater courage, and greater humility, and greater patience, and greater self-control? That's a really good question to ask. And so, what good thing has become a hindrance to your spiritual life? That was the first. Here's the second. The second hindrance we must consistently remove from our lives is sin. Look at the verse 1 again. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and what? And sin which, what does it do? Clings so closely. Um, and so the NIV, which is an old translation of the Bible, translates this particular section in verse 1 in this way. The sin that so easily entangles. Other versions um, translate it as a besetting sin. In the first century, okay, Long robes were the most common piece of clothing. They wore robes, and robes were suitable for everyday use, but you wouldn't want to be wearing a robe if you were running, okay? If you tried to run wearing a robe, it would get tangled on your feet, and you'll end up getting tripped over. And so to run safely and effectively while wearing a robe, if you don't take it off, you would have to um, pull it up or something and tuck it in your belt. But what you wouldn't want to do is run with a robe. Likewise, um, we're being reminded here that we must totally lay aside, get rid of any sin that clings so closely um, to us and easily entangles us. Um, this refers to this. This refers to the specific sin that you're most prone to, okay? Um, sin, obviously, all sin <laughs> is a hindrance for us, but we all individually have a particular sin that we are most prone to committing. It's the sin that you have a habit of going back to over and over again. It's the sin that you have a hard time resisting. It's the sin you try to excuse and use arguments to defend. Thomas Watson, who was a Puritan, describes it as the sin that is the favorite, the sin which the heart is most fond of. He also goes on to say, look at what he says about this. Is He goes, take heed of your besetting sin, that which your nature and constitution must incline to. 
As in the hive, there is a master bee, so in the heart there is a master sin. Really well put. And so this is the meaning behind the sin that it clings closely or the sin that so um, um, easily entangles. And so uh, what about you? What would you say is your sin? What would you say is the sin that so easily entangles you? What is your darling sin? As one author says, is it, and on, um, is it your temper? Is it an impure imagination? Is it a proud heart? Is it vain mind? Is it a taste for worldly company? Is it the love of money? Is it a tendency to, to exaggerate in a speech? Out, that got me there. I, I exaggerate. <laughs> I get passionate about something and I take it and I just, oh, you know, just exaggerate it, make it what it really is not. And so what about you? Um, is it gossip? What sin would you say that you are most prone to committing? Whatever sin it is, this is telling you to lay it aside. You must ruthlessly eliminate it from your life. And the question is, how do you do this? Okay, How do you do this? First, you've got to recognize that it's sin. Any sin that you see as darling, it's very easy to excuse it. <laughs> it's very easy to go, do you know what? If I compare it with this particular sin, it's not that bad. And so I'm going to kind of encourage it and excuse it. But we must first recognize that it's sin. How do we ruthlessly eliminate sin from our lives? We must confess it. We must bring it to life. We must confess it to God, agree with God that it's a sin. And also, we must also um, confess it to other people, right? In community, people that we love and respect. The next way to eliminate sin is to take action to get rid of it. Whatever you need to do, do not entertain it. Get rid of it. Delete your social media account, end a relationship, whatever you need to do, just rid yourself from it. Be ruthless. Next, pray often for deliverance. Don't underestimate the power of prayer. Pray that God would deliver you. And lastly, um, how to lay aside sin, eliminate sin from your life, is to establish relationship with other believers that hold you accountable. You cannot do it on your own. You need community. You need other people to keep you accountable and support you and instill some strength in you to overcome. And so that's the first commitment we need to make to finish well. We need to what? Remove every hindrance. The second commitment we need to make in order to remain faithful and finish well is to run with endurance. Look at verse 1 again. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, okay? Um, we're not only called to remove whatever in our life is hindering our spiritual progress, but we're also urged to run with endurance the race that is set before us. And notice that it just doesn't say ran 
Um, can you turn up my mic a little bit? Yeah, thank you. Can it, um, just notice that it just doesn't say we should run, um, but it says we should run with endurance. Okay, the Greek word behind endurance means to abide under. The word wants you to picture someone bearing up a, um, uh, um, under a heavy load, like a weightlifter who's holding up weights, or like a long-distance runner who keeps going with great determination. And so what's happening here is that the author of Hebrews is challenging his first-century readers and us modern-day readers to endure and persevere in our Christian walk. Joseph Stowell, who's an author, says this. In Hebrews 12, we discover that it takes um, what it takes to live a life of faith that doesn't quit. The plan isn't quick or easy, and there are no shortcuts or God's cross-country race call. And God's On God's cross-country course. You broke out the mic and tried. That was a mouthful. Gosh, should have rehearsed that bit. We are called to endure hardship and accept discipline that is often painful, but the blessing of righteousness and peace and God's crown of victory are more than worth the sacrifice. Um, I know a couple of people in our church who are into marathons, um, and this is a fascinating thing. Every time they're training from a, for a marathon. I ask them, are you going to win? See, that's the response. They kind of laugh <laughs> and go, of course I'm not going to win. And I'm like, what are you doing it for? And they're like, want to be competitive. You want to win. You know, they're just doing it because they want to prove something to themselves, whatever. I've never really been into like running or long distance running. I do other forms of workout and fitness, but um, I live, we live in a city where there's always runners. And one of the most interesting thing is watching marathons on TV or watching long distance runners. It's the most boring thing ever. <laughs> it really is. Like, I don't even know why they televise stuff like that on the Olympics. It's like a two hour race. And all it is, is someone running. Great. Watching distance running on TV is seen as one of the most boring sports you can watch. All right? Outside of golf. All right? He knew. Golf. Have you tried to watch golf? Is it boring? No. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so they say running is one of the most boring sports to watch. But what many of you runners have realized is that long-distance running may be boring to onlookers, but it's likely the most, not just the most intense and physically taxing um, exercises you can do, but it's likely the most spiritually enlightening to do. Long distance running is probably the closest sport, one of the closest sport to the Christian way of life. Why is that? So many reasons, but mainly because running 
is incredibly challenging and requires endurance. Long-distance runners face many challenges like dehydration and mental and physical fatigue and burning muscles and injuries and all of those things, many challenges. And because of those challenges, if you ever meet a, you know, uh, an avid runner, they are individuals who are incredibly resilient and can endure a lot. And so in the same way, the Christian life is similar to that. We are being reminded to run with endurance the race, the race of Christianity. And the reason why we're being encouraged to run with endurance is because there are a lot of challenges with the Christian life. And as I speak now, I know no one could stand up and say, I disagree with you. Christianity is easy and there are no challenges. It's not. There are a lot of challenges associated with Christianity. This is why we are being encouraged to run with endurance, to continue to live the life God has called us to live in the midst, in the face of challenges and hardship and suffering. And I know for sure there are some in this room right now who are facing major challenges, not just general because you're a human and being a human comes with it, but you are facing intense challenges specifically because of your decision to follow and live for Jesus. When tempted to give up, throw in the towel and run away, I would say one of the best verses you can play, pray is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. It's incredible. Pray it. Remind yourself that there are individuals who have gone before you who should be an inspiration to you. Remind yourself to look and remove everything in your life and remind yourself to run with endurance. And the only way we're able to do all of this effectively is if we are powered and inspired by Jesus Christ himself. And that's where we're going next. And so, to finish well, we must what? Remove every hindrance, run with endurance, and lastly, to finish well, we must make a commitment to fully focus on who? On Jesus. Look at verse 2. So, it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so the Greek word for looking, which some translations say fix, means to direct one's attention without distraction. It really means this, to properly look at something by looking away from everything else. It's to look at something, okay, and be so focused on it, everything around you is muted. Similar to a runner, okay? When they line up to run or they're actually in the motion of running, they are so focused on the finishing line. They are so focused on what the next goal is 
that everything, even the crowds and even the, 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 their opponents, and uh, everyone is muted. They are focused on their finishing line. And so to look to Jesus or fix our eyes on Jesus means to do this, to direct our attention on him without distraction. It's to be so focused on him, everything around us is in the background. Jesus is the model and motivation for our endurance. On May 6, 1954, Roger Bannister became the first man in history to run a mile in less than four minutes. Within two months, John Landy eclipsed the record by 1.4 seconds. In, 1950, in August 1954, the two met together for a historic race. As they moved into the last lap, Landy held the lead. It looked as if he would win, but as he neared the finishing line, he was haunted by the question, where is Bannister? As he turned to look, Bannister took the lead and won the race. Landy later told Time Magazine reporter that if he hadn't looked back, he would have won the race. This is a helpful analogy for what we're talking about here. When we take our eyes of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, what begins to happen is that we slow down in our Christian lives and make less progress in grace. Earlier, the author of Hebrews urged us to be inspired by the lives of faithful men and women and to view them as examples and inspiration for living the Christian life. You guys remember that, right? You do. Now, he is using Jesus as the supreme example to which we should look as we run life's race. John Phillips says this, we are going to run not because of the price at the end and not because so many illustrious saints have run the course in the past and have been gloriously crowned, but we are running because the vision of Jesus thrills the soul. Jesus is described in verse 2 as the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is basically a summary of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished. Jesus was humiliated, he was insulted, he was spit upon, he was whipped, beaten, and nailed to a cross. And guess what? Jesus endured all of this, right, because of the joy that was set before him. And this joy that enabled him to endure was the completion of his father's will, his position on the throne of the Father's right hand and the outcome of his finished work on the cross. And so when we focus on the example, 
set before us by Jesus and fix our eyes on him, then we will have great encouragement to faithfully continue moving forward with the mission of our lives so that we can finish well. Ladies and gentlemen, everything is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It really is. And the reason it's all about Jesus is because Jesus is the one that came. He's the one that professed to be God in human flesh. He is the one that lived a life that resembled God the most. And he's the one that died so that you may live. That is if you surrender your life to him. It's all about Jesus. And the reason why we keep coming back to Jesus over and over again, inspired and guided by the book of Hebrews, is because it's all about Jesus. And so as a Christian, as you endeavor to live a life worthy of your call as a Christian, um, as you desire to rid yourself of things that hinder you, and as a Christian, as you try to run with endurance the race that is set before you, you cannot do it in your own power. You cannot do it because you think you're awesome. You cannot do it because you run marathons. You cannot do it for any other reason apart from being inspired and empowered by Jesus Christ himself. That's the reality. And can I get an amen? Thank you, Nikki. (laughs) Robert Murray McShane, who has one of the most awesome names, says this. For every look at self, take ten looks at Christ. Live near to Jesus, and all things will appear little to you in comparison with eternal realities. How many millions of dazzling pearls and gems are at this moment hidden in the deep recesses of the ocean caves? Likewise, unfathomable oceans of grace are in Christ for you. Dive and dive again. You will never come to the bottom of these depths. When you gaze upon the sun, it makes everything else dark. When you taste honey, it makes everything else tasteless. Likewise, when your soul feeds on Jesus, it takes away the sweetness of all earthly things, praise, pleasure, fleshly lust, all, all lose their sweetness, keep a continued gaze, run, looking onto Jesus, so will the world be crucified to you and you unto the world. Few Christians finish well. Along the way, many Christians become discouraged by hardships. Some cease to grow spiritually and stagnate. Others tragically fall into sin and shipwreck their faith and deconstruct it. And so what's the remedy? How can you finish well? To finish well, the beginning of Hebrews is urging us to commit to removing every hindrance running with endurance and being fully focused and obsessed and consumed with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you so much 
as we transition to singing, to gazing and observing who you are and what you've done for us, may your son Jesus Christ become more and more beautiful to us. In his name we pray, amen.